it's very funny to me how people get so lit up about this. And they think that they're on the right track with the revenue equivalent, but they're really not. There needs to be an equivalent in investment. And if there is a, an equivalent in investment, then we can start talking about the revenue. But until we get to that point, don't talk to me about the revenue. Welcome to the Sports Business Radio Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Berger. You can find the Sports Business Radio Podcast 15 years over 600 episodes featuring conversations with the biggest names in sports like David Stern, Pete Carroll, Chris Abbott, Jeannie Buss, Michael Vick, Andre Iguodala, Mark Cuban, Tom Rinaldi, Charles Barkley, Jack Nicholas, Lindsey Vaughn, Eric Spolstra, Aaron Rodgers, and Steve Nash on iTunes or at sportsbusinessradio.com. Subscribe, rate, and review the Sports Business Radio podcast on iTunes, and everyone who posts a review on iTunes will be eligible to be selected to join us in our studio audience at one of our Sports Business Radio roadshows presented by Boingo. And we're also on Spotify now, so you can find us there. Follow us in between podcasts on Twitter at SB Radio. We've been named a top 50 follow by Forbes.com for three consecutive years, and on Instagram at Sports Business Radio. Well, thanks for joining us on this week's edition of Sports Business Radio. This is one that I've wanted to do for a while. Megan Klingenberg, who has been a member of the U.S. Women's National Soccer Team. She also plays for the Portland Thorns of the NWSL. She's an entrepreneur. She has a company called Re-Inc. She's a foodie. She's a diehard Pittsburgh Steelers fan. Well-rounded person. But she's really insightful and eloquent, and uh, I love having athletes on who are insightful, eloquent, can speak firsthand on issues, and the issue of equal pay has been a big one for women's sports, and Megan is on the front lines, she's read through the legal documents, she knows this firsthand, she's living it, it impacts her livelihood. So uh, anytime you can get that kind of perspective, Griggs, uh, it's great to bring her on the show. And, you know, she's interested in podcasting, social media. I think she's going to be a star post-soccer career as well. Yeah, she. I really enjoyed this interview, too. And she's just an excitable person. Like, she really just loves life and loves doing everything. Like you said, talking about food, what she's cooking tonight, you know, what she's doing on social, what she's doing in soccer. It's so much more than just soccer with her, which is cool. Cause, and, and you'll hear in the interview, she's just so eloquent knows what to talk about, how to talk about it, how to present it. So it's it's a good one. She's she's great. Well, and this show originates in Portland, Oregon, and she plays for the Portland Thorns, so we've gotten to know her a little bit since she's local. And they play in front of more fans than any other women's pro sports team in the world. Not America, the world. And, you know, the Portland Thorns have done such a great job with growing the brand of the Thorns and you know, frankly, uh, lifting the NWSL on their shoulders. And, you know, I know that Merritt Paulson, the owner of the Thorns, nobody's pushing for higher and better standards for that league, for better pay, for investment in the women than Merritt Paulson of the Thorns and obviously the, the Portland Timbers. So you need champions out there like that who are standing up for women's sports and you know, this was an insightful interview, though. Uh, one thing, you know, that I'll say that I learned from this and didn't really think about before is let's say that the U.S. women's national team wins this battle, this legal battle that they're fighting with the U.S. Soccer Federation and gets equal pay. 
well, you still have to go take on FIFA. You have to take on all these other organizations. That's just one step in the process. So it's not, oh, we won this battle and now that carries over to all these other uh, federations and, and governing bodies. It's one by one by one. But I hope you enjoy this conversation with Megan Klingenberg because uh, I found her to be really eloquent and insightful and just a fun person to hang out with. Blinder is the way high-performance teams connect their talent with the media and fans. It lets communications managers provide unprecedented access to their athletes, entertainers, and executives while respecting everyone's privacy and time. Blinder makes phone calls magic. Request a demo today at blinderhq.com backslash SB radio. Joining me now on the Blinder guest line is Megan Klingenberg, member of the 2015 Women's World Cup champion soccer team and a member of the 2016 U.S. Women's Olympic team. She currently plays for the Portland Thorns of the NWSL, who average more fans for their home games than any other women's professional soccer club in the entire world. Megan is also an entrepreneur. She's doing great things. You can learn more about what she has going on at MeganKlingenberg.com. Megan Klingenberg is your BFF is a video series that she has launched, and it's well worth your time to watch and done with a lot of personality. I love it. Find Megan on Twitter and Instagram at Megan Kling. She's a great follow on social media. Megan, thanks for joining us on Sports Business Radio. I've really enjoyed our past conversations about soccer, podcasting, social media, and I want to get into this equal pay issue because you have been so eloquent speaking about it. But thanks for taking the time to join me on Sports Business Radio. I really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. So let's start with the beginning. You grew up in Pittsburgh. We've talked about how you're a Steelers fan, you're a Penguins fan, but what was it like growing up in Pittsburgh, and when did you initially start developing a passion for soccer? Oh, good question. That's a tough one. Um, Growing up in Pittsburgh was awesome. It's one of my absolute favorite places in the country. I think a lot of people still think it's 1970s industrial kind of place, but it's not. It's one of the best-kept secrets in the whole country. Um, and what's really cool about Pittsburgh is that it, it it's a sports town. It bleeds black and gold. And just for a quick story, a quick aside, every Sunday, whether it's 1 p.m. or 3 p.m. or whenever the Steelers game is, the mornings at the Giant Eagle, which is the local grocery store, are the busiest mornings that you would <laughs> ever see. Like, you can't even get a spot in the lot. That's how, like, sometimes you have to park, like, at Starbucks and then walk over to the Giant Eagle to get your, your chips and dips and whatever you need for the game that day, right? And then soon as kickoff hits, 1 p.m., there's not a soul on the road. Like, literally, I cannot wow. remember people being out on the roads. It's like a ghost town. Everybody's having watch parties, hanging out at their neighbors. Like, I don't even think people watch that much. I think people just enjoy being around each other's company and having chips and dips on a Sunday. Yeah, that's so cool. I've never been, but it's on my list to get to a Steelers game. And I've just heard it's it's basically religion there, that everything stops on Sundays for people to watch uh, the Steelers play. Yeah, it's part of the culture. People just like to get together, and this is just another excuse for them to do that and cheer on the team that they love. So it's one of the best things about about uh, football Sundays in Pittsburgh. What's it like for you now? This is a quick aside, too. Uh, so you've played 
you know, World Cups, you've played Olympics, you play in front of the largest crowds for a women pro sports soccer team in the world with the Portland Thorns. You play in front of rabid fans. What's that like? Because not everyone, I've never experienced that. Uh, well, you don't have people coming to your work and cheering you on. No, no, not once. Never. That's terrible. (laughs) I know. Well, it's like the best feeling in the world. Um, yeah, just imagine if you did have people in the studio that loved your work and like loved you for whatever reason. And they're there to pump you up no matter how well you're doing on your podcast, whether you're doing like kicking ass a day or not. It's it's one of the coolest feelings in the world because the community that we have, whether it's the U.S. Women's National Team or whether it's the Rose City Riveters for the Portland Thorns, is all about being there for the team in the ups, in the downs, in the in-betweens, in the, you know, whatever is going on in that team, within the team uh, at the stadium or even online or whatever. It's one of the coolest things ever to have somebody cheering for you while you're doing the thing that you love. Yeah. Now, I can't even imagine. Like I said, I've never been a, a sports star. I've never done my show in front of that many people. So it's got to be something that, that really pumps you up. You played college soccer at University of North Carolina. They love their soccer there, too. So that must have been a great place to go to college and play soccer. Yeah, I was super blessed. Actually, I wanted to go to North Carolina from the time I was nine years old. Uh, I won't get into that story, but basically me and mom took a road trip down to North Carolina and ended up stopping at Chapel Hill to watch a women's soccer match, and I was hooked. So being able to go there and then additionally play in front of your peers, like all of the students that go to school with you, is is an experience like no other. And you won two championships there, didn't you? Yeah, it's actually um, really disappointing to only win two when you've gone to the University of North Carolina, so I'm kind of a scrub. Oh, uh, I don't know about that. That Two's pretty no, good. I'm, I'm dead serious. We have, like, we'll have reunions, and there, there are women there that have five national championships because they had to redshirt one year because they were hurt. <laughs> so they're looking at you like, you only got two? Ah, you're yeah, nothing. Yeah, they, they look at me like I'm a total scrub. All right, so doing my research, I find out that when you were young, one of the things you did was take taekwondo, and you're a black belt. <laughs> did, did that help you with soccer? I like to think so. I think taekwondo is an amazing sport in general, but the things that translate are the balance, the focus, the mentality, the... Um, willingness to compete are so strong in Taekwondo and things that they really try to teach. I think in other sports, they just are, they're like, ah, competitive is competitive, but, or focus is focus. But in Taekwondo, what's really cool is they actually teach focus and competitiveness and like what's an appropriate focus and what's not, what's an appropriate competitiveness and what's not. Uh, Because I think when you tell you know, teachers or whatever that you're you're practicing fighting when you're little, <laughs> that they're like, whoa, whoa, that's not okay. Yeah. So there has to be a lot of ground rules about it. And those ground rules have been some of the biggest teachings 
in my life that have crossed over into soccer. So what is appropriate focus? <laughs> well, I would think that, you know, when you're talking to kids, <laughs> it's a little bit different than for me in soccer. But what I learned, I think, is that appropriate focus is that when you're here and you're only devoting an hour of your time per day or an hour of your time per week to Taekwondo, then you're devoting that time to Taekwondo. And the way that they taught that was not just like, Megan, you have to be here. You have to be focused. You have to think about it. They would actively have us do like drills or like stances and things that we're like so focused on getting correct and so focused on making sure that we're doing it in the right way that we weren't straying at all. And I think that sometimes when you have soccer, it's not like that. Um, You see kids like picking flowers or, you see kids like, uh, you know, not paying attention and when their goalkeeper and the ball's rolling in and they're like looking the other way and it's adorable. But that didn't happen in Taekwondo because I think you can get injured if you're not yeah. paying attention. And so they really tried to make sure that with everything they were doing that the kids were paying attention to what was happening. And that doesn't mean that there wasn't times that there was kids picking flowers or, you know, the equivalent of picking flowers, but... I think that that's a pretty cool thing about Taekwondo. You're listening to Sports Business Radio with our guest, Megan Klingenberg, U.S. soccer star. We'll be right back after this. I can't tell you how many times over the years on Sports Business Radio that a PR person is asked to listen in on my interviews with their CEO, GM, coach, or athlete. They also want to call us in our studio so that we don't have the phone number of the high-profile person who is calling us for our interview. Blinder has developed a technology that solves these issues that have existed for years. Use Blinder's unique technology to connect your athlete, coach, or executive's personal phone for any interview without sharing their private information. Remotely control the phone interviews, set start and finish times, monitor online or with the Blinder mobile app, and listen to a recording of the call at any time for complete peace of mind. With Blinder, you're finally in control. The system works globally from any phone line. Scheduling a call takes seconds. Customizable push notifications ensure a connection, and no one needs to download anything to make or receive a call. PR people everywhere should be using this helpful technology. Blinder is now the technology we use for the official guest line for Sports Business Radio. Learn how to start your free trial by visiting blinderhq.com backslash sbradio. Now we're talking. Now, back to Sports Business Radio with our guest, Megan Klingenberg. All right, before we get into soccer and uh, equal pay and some of those issues, I, you're such a well-rounded person, and, and you know I love your social media, and I love your uh, Megan Klingenberg as your BFF. That was a great series <laughs> to watch, and I, I look forward to seeing you know what happens with that in the future. But on your website, you say, I am a chef, a Sudoku expert, Nature appreciator, bookworm, and sports nut that happens to play soccer for a living. And I love that because if you get to know you, and I just know you a little bit, you are. You're so much more than just an athlete. You've got all these other sides to you. Um, tell me about being a chef and a Sudoku expert, and let's get to know <laughs> the, the Megan who's not a soccer player for a minute here. Yeah, of course. I think that sometimes people confuse athletes jobs with their life 
And I think it can be for some people, but for me, my job is my passion, and my passion is my job, but those things are not my character, and those things are not my life. Um, And so when I say I'm a chef and a Sudoku expert and all these different things, I really mean it. Like, I cook almost every single night for myself and friends and whoever is around um, because I love it. Like, I love food so much. And so what's better than being able to, like, reward yourself with a really well-done, like, cooked meal? Um, I just find that so fulfilling, be able to, like, create something from scratch that is not only, like, sustaining your body but tastes excellent. That That's amazing. Um, and then, I don't know, I just really love puzzles, and Sudoku kind of speaks to me. It's, like, all about logic. You never get the same one. They can be as hard or as easy as you want them to be. And I feel like it's a really great way of instead of being idle of like filling your time with with reading, with Sudoku and those type of things. So um, I love to, you know, fill up my my time, not really with TV and those type of things, but with with things that I feel like are are always using my brain because it is true. If you don't use it, you lose it. So that I I don't know if that tells you a bit more about me, but. It does. That's it, really. Give me your uh, one to two, like, go-to dishes that you like to prepare food-wise. And we're lucky. I mean, look, Portland has become a foodie city. There's a lot of organic produce here. What do you like to make? Ooh, it depends. It depends on the season. It depends on the weather. It depends on kind of what I'm feeling for that day. But what I've been into lately is I've been making this corn chowder. And essentially, it's just a coconut-based soup with potatoes and celery and onions and corn and uh, a bit of Cajun seasoning and salt and pepper. It's really, really, really delicious. And then a favorite that is, like, no matter what, is eggplant rollatini. Have you ever heard of that? I have. I haven't had it, but I've heard of it. No? Okay, so it's basically my mom's specialty. You You just take slices, thinly sliced eggplant, you bread them, and then you'll fry them each side, a quick flash fry, and then you'll stuff them with cheese, or if you're a vegan like me, with some vegan cheese, roll them up, cover, put them in a a casserole dish, cover with, you know, homemade red sauce, and then, you know, sprinkle cheese on top and bake them, and I will tell you what, it's the best dish in the world, probably. Oh my gosh, that sounds so good. And my daughter's vegetarian, so that sounds like something that uh, she would love. Oh yeah, you're gonna need. I'm gonna send you the recipe after this. Oh yes. <laughs> Who knew that our audience was gonna get cooking tips during today's interview? This is like a bonus. <laughs> this is awesome. Well, hopefully, hopefully uh, they're good tips. All right. So the other thing that you love, because you played a little bit in Sweden, FICA. What's fika? Or am I even pronouncing that right? <laughs> okay, I'm not laughing. Fika? It's just funny. It's fika. Fika. Yeah. Oh, and, see, and... I knew it. I screwed it up. No, it's okay. What's funny about <laughs> Sweden is that if you use, like, syllables or if you put the wrong stress on a, on a certain syllable, then it completely changes the word. So like in, I just did. Yeah, like in uh, English, for instance, if you're talking about, like, 
either or either. They they both work. We know we know the word. You know what I mean? But if you were to say that the that same equivalent in Swedish, nobody would have any idea what you're talking about. Or right. you'll be saying a completely different word. So it's a struggle <laughs> trying to learn that language. So it's okay. That the whole story was to tell you you're good. But Fika actually is it doesn't have an English translation. It actually doesn't translate to almost any other language in the world. It's it's a word that means essentially a little a little coffee break. But it's not the way that we take coffee breaks in America. It's going to a coffee shop with your friend and having a little dessert and having a little coffee and then enjoying time just being with that person. So instead of just like getting a Starbucks cup to go like we do, it's about taking a fika or having a fika or fika-ing and enjoying that time with a little a little sweet treat and a little cup of coffee with an acquaintance or somebody that you've known forever, but it's just a part of way it's it's a part of life there and it's something that really resonated with me and I tried to bring back. I like it. Where can I fika in Portland? Is there a good place in Portland or is there not any good places? Can you only do it in Sweden? No, the best part about Fika is you can take one anywhere. Oh. You can have one you can have one at your house. Like you can invite somebody over and, and take a Fika and have like a French press and a little like piece of pie for both of you and enjoy each other's company and say that you're Fikaing. Or you can do it at a coffee shop or at your favorite coffee shop. So it's it's a really cool um it's a really it's it's like I said it's very hard to explain because there's no American equivalent. All right, so we've gone to coffee before. We might have to turn the next one into a fika instead of just yeah, like m- meeting for coffee. And we could like discuss or incorporate Megan Klingenberg is your BFF somehow into the conversation. <laughs> That sounds perfect. <laughs> All right. Let's talk soccer. Uh, you have played at the highest of high levels with the U.S. Women's National Team. Again, you've won a World Cup. You've played in the Olympics. Uh, you've performed it at such a high level, too. But there's this fight going on right now for equal pay. And I told you when we had coffee, I'm on record on this show, and I'll say it again, that I think not only should the women make as much money as the men, I think the women should make more money than the men. And my two top reasons are the women's team has completely outperformed the men's team, won World Cups, the men didn't even qualify for the last World Cup, and you've done what you've done with far fewer resources than the men. Those are my two big reasons. But whenever I've talked to you, you so eloquently lay this out. This has been a big topic of discussion because this lawsuit was made in March. And can you eloquently lay this out for our audience? Because you're experiencing this. You've experienced the inequality in pay and the low pay. And you're one of the people who's vocal in, in fighting for equal pay. Where to start, Brian? Where I know it's it's. We could probably spend an hour on this. I think you're right. Um, let me start with kind of taking us back to 2015. So when we were uh, 20, like after we won the World Cup in 2015, I was on that team with a lot of the same players that won in 2019 as well, and we didn't know it when we were five years old. 
but we were we have been training from that time through the rest of our lives till that point for that moment to be able to shine on that stage and win in that moment right we didn't know it but we we were and as we're standing there on that that platform lifting the trophy it felt amazing but something felt a little bit off and i didn't realize what it was until um, a few weeks later, a few months later, after really giving it some thought, taking a look at what was happening. And what was happening was, whether it was the Federation, whether it was FIFA, whether it was media rights holders, whether it was sponsors, it didn't matter. They were all creating value off of our hard-earned win. But the players were not able to. The players had a fixed amount of income from FIFA and a fixed amount of income from U.S. soccer, even though that success generated, um, you know, like value that was not expected and value that was much higher than could ever be budgeted. And it was because of these players. And it wasn't necessarily because U.S. soccer, um, you know, people were interested in the crest. And it's not because people were interested in the stuff that we were wearing. It's because people were interested in the players and the win and the hype around that. So I got to really thinking about that, and the team got to thinking about that, and that's kind of where the Equal Pay Initiative came from. And so we tried to remedy it through collective bargaining, and unfortunately that didn't work. Um, And so it's kind of come to this point that you were talking about, Brian, with the lawsuit and trying to remedy it through... Uh, those those channels and so what's really interesting about it and and everybody on the you're that's listening on the podcast will probably laugh at me because I actually really I hate going through Twitter in regards to just like general comments but I love listening or reading through the comments about equal pay because they're hilarious to me because actually I've been in the weeds on this for like three or four years looking through U.S. soccer financials, uh, going through and negotiating a collective bargaining agreement, looking at all of the different ways and, and models from the NFL down to, you know, U.S. Uh, rugby, how they pay their players. So I actually know a bit about this now. And what's really funny is, one, the, the guys that have like the, the dog avatars, on Twitter that say that women should get back to the kitchen. Okay, just, like, let's let's just get rid of that. That is, like, the oldest, stupidest joke in the book, right? Like, it's not even clever. Can we come up with something more clever, please? And then, two, people talking about the revenue. And I understand that businesses are a function of success and a function of revenue, but... It is such a flawed and unfounded argument that I have to laugh because if you expect women, by the way, these women have driven the same amount of revenue, which is absolutely incredible. But if you expect women who have been playing the sport for 20 years, who, who, you know, don't even have anything close to the same amount of, uh, like, resources and, and things of that nature to drive the same amount of revenue, then you're crazy. Because when you take a look at it, there needs to be the same amount of investment for women to even come close 
to driving the same amount of revenue. Essentially, men get 100x, maybe even 1,000x, depending on which clubs or which federations, uh, more investment, whether that is in human resources, uh, marketing, player benefits, player salaries, surfaces, training grounds, coaches, front office staff, uh, travel. It doesn't matter. Medical treatment. Like, I can go on and on. It is a 1,000x more in some regards than women's side gets. And so to ever think that women could possibly drive the same amount of revenue is insane. That is not something that we would ever talk about in any other space of business. But because we're in a space that is predominantly male, it's the last bastion of, I would say, old school masculinity, toxic masculinity, I would I would call it, then people have differing opinions than if they were just talking about a bank or if they were just talking about um, any other industry in, in the world. So it's, it's very funny to me how people get so lit up about this and they think that they're on the right track with the revenue equivalent, but they're really not. There needs to be an equivalent in, in investment. And if there is a, an equivalent in investment, then we can start talking about the revenue. But until we get to that point, don't talk to me about the revenue. You're listening to Sports Business Radio with our guest, Megan Klingenberg, U.S. soccer star. We'll be right back after this. When it comes to stadiums and arenas, every sports pro knows wireless wins. And when it comes to the best wireless technology for your venue, look no further than Boingo Wireless. Boingo is the largest operator of indoor wireless networks in the U.S., providing state-of-the-art Wi-Fi and cellular services that power amazing fan experiences. And Boingo makes keeping your stadium connected easy today and in the future. Thinking about 5G? Boingo's expert team helps you carry the ball through a complex technology landscape to deliver wireless solutions that will delight fans and deepen loyalty season after season. Here's another kicker. Boingo is simply the best connected experience for your business. With Boingo, stadiums and arenas enjoy unique operating efficiencies, revenue opportunities, and digital insights into their fan base. That's a win-win. Boingo works with major league sports venues like Soldier Field, Vivint Smart Home Arena, State Farm Arena, and University Stadiums like University of Louisville and K-State. Our thanks to Boingo for their continued support of Sports Business Radio. We're excited to showcase how technology is changing the business of sports. If you would like more information on Boingo Wireless, visit boingo.com or email sports at boingo.com. Now, back to Sports Business Radio with our guest, Megan Klingenberg. Everyone listening to this right now should know that Megan is a very smart business person too, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. But you're, you're really, you understand business and you understand these documents that you're looking over and you understand comparing, you know, what the men are making to what the women are making. This isn't an emotional argument. This is fact based. And, you know, I knew you would eloquently lay this out. What needs to happen? Like, where are we right now with, cause so far, you know, the powers that be haven't come around to where they need to come around to say, okay, equal pay. What needs to happen now to get that done? Well, I think that's what this court case is all about, trying to force through legal remedies U.S. soccer or the Federation to 
use and do what needs to be done to ensure equal pay and hopefully eventually equitable pay um, in regards to their national teams. And the really unfortunate thing is that no matter what happens with our federation, there are still all these other powers that be, namely FIFA, FIFA, right. CONCACAF, all these other regional, um, you know, like the regions, Commonwealth and uh, UEFA, it doesn't matter. They still need to get on board for anything to, to, to change. I think that U.S. soccer is a big first step. And what's really cool about the U.S. women's national team and their union is that they are like this beacon of hope and light and the way forward for a lot of other teams and a lot of other women's sports. You saw it with the women, uh, U.S. women's national ho- hockey team. Mm-hmm. They were actually able to, you know, produce the type of results with their federation uh, by, by taking a, a page out of the U.S. women's national team soccer playbook, which is really cool. And so we're able to do that across the rest of the world. And so when we set that standard in the United States, then when Spain goes about, you know, getting to the point where they're having a collective bargaining agreement, and when Japan and when Australia and when all these other countries start looking at, well, what's the standard and how do we get there? They can start doing what we're doing with the union and with the federation and the United States. And hopefully that sets a standard and it gives a playbook to try to get the world to a place of parity. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I've said this a lot on this show. So it's 2019. I am the father of a 14 year old daughter who, by the way, plays soccer. I have all sisters. It's really frustrating that we're at this point in 2019. I feel like in many ways we're in the dark ages still. Like why, why are we having to lay out the blueprint now? This should have been done a long time ago, but you know, people like you are pioneers and you are hopefully setting the standard, like you said, so that people who come after you and other leagues like the WNBA and U.S. hockey and, and everyone else benefits by the standard that you're laying out. So you deserve a lot of credit for what you're doing. After World Cup, I saw with NWSL, which is the league you play in with the Portland Thorns, uh, ESPN, Anheuser-Busch, there were some other companies that stepped up and got more involved. Do you think that's headed in a positive direction or is there still a ton of work that needs to be done there? Both. I think there's a ton of work that needs to be done, and I think it's heading in a positive direction. I actually have had numerous people call me up and say, hey, I'm interested in owning an NWSL franchise, and that has never happened before. Mm. And these are predominantly female-led investor groups, which is really friggin' cool. That's awesome. We've never had... As far as I know, a female majority owner in the NWSL. And so, to me, having that interest for the very first time is huge. Because once you start getting women in positions of power and decision-making roles, then and only then can we start to see the type of change in an accelerated way that we would like to see. 
Because, like, no offense to guys, I love them. It's not a wet men versus women thing. But if you've never experienced discrimination before, if you've never experienced pay inequality before, it's very hard to understand. Let me put it into terms for you. I love the Portland Thorns. Like, I love the Timbers. I love our front office staff. And this is, I'm not bad-mouthing them at all. But when you go to work every day and you know that the Timbers' lowest-paid player takes up more than half of your salary cap, then you can start to understand that, you know, when you're, when you're you, and we have some of the best players in the history of the game on our team. Not just, like, really good players for this league. The best Canadian in the history of the game who arguably is going to be one of the top ten greatest female players in the, in the history of the game will break the international goal-scoring record, Christine Sinclair, on our team. And she's being paid a fraction of what the, the male players are being played. It, it's like I understand that, like, the league needs to get to a place where the MLS is. I'm not saying that Christine should be paid the exact same amount that men are, but what I'm saying is that she should have the same amount of investment. And walking in every day and knowing that that's happening creates a really awkward dynamic, quite frankly. And so if you've never experienced that, if it's never been quite in in your face like that, if you've never known what it's like to be paid less than somebody else who's doing the exact same job as you, then it's really hard to understand. And so I try to give people a little bit of credit in that way, but like, and, and it's not, it's not the Thorns fault. Like we have a salary cap that's set there for a reason. You know what I mean? Like this is the league wide salary cap. We can't just go over it and break rules, but at the same time, it makes it uncomfortable. It's not right. And it's just like, how do you move past that and get to a place where, you know, all of your players and all of your employees are treated with equal respect, equal pay, equal dignity? All right. This is a personal question, but I'm trying to make a point. And if you're not comfortable answering it, just tell me. You've played pro soccer for a while now. What is the mm-hmm. lowest amount of money that you've earned in a year playing women's pro soccer oh that would be when i was a a rookie but that was we got paid a lot more in the wps than we do in this league um so that's actually not even a good equivalent i would say but i think i made like thirty thousand my first year and then in this league players are making fifteen thousand at the very minimum and I think that might even be below minimum wage. In the NWSL? Yes. Wow. Yeah, I think it is below it's, minimum it's, wage. It's a full-time <laughs> job. Like, like we have, we're expected to be at practice and treat the Thorns as if it is our first job, which we do because we love it and we want to win. But at the same time, that's not a salary that's sustainable for anybody. Right. No, that's that's very understandable. I know you only have a few minutes left, so I want to cover a few other things with you. You and Megan Rapino, Christian Press, Tobin Heath have started a company called Re Inc. Tell us about that company. What are your goals? What are you guys doing there? Oh, sure. So um, 
back to my story a little bit about the 2015. If we could just take a real quick, yeah, you know, look down memory lane. Um, essentially, after that World Cup, I talked about like you know wanting to create value for the players instead of creating value for everybody else. And so that's why I got really involved with the union and equal pay was one path in which we decided that we wanted to pursue that value creation. And we also knew that there were other paths as well. And so as I got thinking about it, I thought, well, we could start our own company and build a brand off of our likenesses centered around the women's national team centered around uh, you know, our, our likenesses and things, of, things like that. Um, so I tried to have that go through the union, but with 30 decision makers, unfortunately, that's just really hard to get anything. It's like herding cats, at, pretty much impossible. So Kristen Press, Tilbin, Pino, and I kind of self-selected because we really believed in creating our own value and we were willing to put in the work. And so we decided to talk with each other and see, you know, what could this be about? So we brought in some, you know, other people that help us think through some things that are well-versed in business and legal and all these different things. And we got to chatting and we're like, you know what? This could be really freaking cool. We could make a global lifestyle wellness brand centered around inclusivity, centered around um, pay equality, centered around um, using all of your inner strengths to create your own value, create your own path. And instead of having somebody telling you, oh, this is the pie and this is how much you're entitled to, creating your own pie and expanding that pie to whatever, however big that you possibly can within your capabilities. And so we thought it was really cool opportunity to launch this right before the World Cup. And so we decided that we want to, we want to recreate, revolt, reinvent a lot of different industries because, quite frankly, a lot of them are created by men, for men, with men in mind. Uh, and so we were like, okay, well, what could we, where do we start? This is a grand idea. Where do we get dug in? Where do we begin? And we thought, well, first of all, fashion seems like a really good place to start because one, you know, from a perfectly practical standpoint, it's easy to put those things on Instagram and tell people what you're doing and show them what you're doing and market it. And then from a, a, a more mission-based standpoint, it's a industry that is, you know, filled with, with men designing things for men with men, men sizing in mind. And so we thought it, it was pretty ripe for a reinvention. No, I, so, I love it. Yeah. So we thought, well, why don't we create gender neutral sizing uh, and gender neutral clothing that basically is a, outward representation of the badass power that we feel inside. And so that's kind of where we started. And we, we dropped one shirt in June, which was centered around the World Cup and centered around our players that were there. And, and we actually have our next collection, which will, which will feature a lot more products, 
dropping this fall that we're really, really excited about, which will have a bigger range of items and colors. So people listening to this right now, if they want to order a shirt or they want to learn more about Re-Ink, how do they do that? Yeah, I would say please follow us on social. We have Twitter, we have Instagram, we have Facebook, and it's at Reese underscore underscore social. Or please go to our website. So if you type in rewebsite.com, you can find out pretty much all what we're about. And you can join the wait list because we have a wait list that is allowing early access to that collection that will drop in November. So it should be pretty cool. We're pretty stoked to drop it. It's not something, it's not merch. It's not something that we just, you know, slap the logo on and, and put it on a t-shirt. This is things that we designed from scratch since March. And so it is like custom cut sew, custom dyes, custom logos, things that our, our founders have really put a lot of time and attention to detail into. So even if you don't like what we put out there, even if you don't like what the clothes are, it's I think it's really cool because the founders are so into what we're making. We have our hands in, in everything. It's not just somebody running this business for us. It's us getting our hands dirty and making the decisions around what type of business we want to be, what what kind of, how we want to sell things and what we're going to sell. You're listening to Sports Business Radio with our guest, Megan Klingenberg, U.S. soccer star. We'll be right back after this. Open Doors helps athletes share content on social. Founded in 2012 by two former Nebraska football players, Open Doors has become the world's leading athlete marketing platform. More than 6,000 athletes around the world use Open Doors to receive content from partners and publish to their personal social channels like Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, all with one click. Open Doors makes it easier than ever before for brands, including sponsors and licensees and properties, to push approved content through the player's social channels. Leading sports organizations like the PGA Tour, NFL Players Association, Major League Baseball Players Association, the LPGA, and dozens of professional and collegiate sports teams use the platform to send video highlights, photos, GIFs, and more to athletes. The publishing process is very easy and convenient. Once registered, athletes receive a text message when their team, league, or brand partner has content for them to share on social media. The athlete simply reviews the content and hits approve. Open Doors does the rest. If you're an athlete, start using Open Doors as a tool today to build your personal brand and maximize your value on social media. If you're a brand trying to connect with athletes who you thought you'd never be able to gain access to on your own, Open Doors is your solution. Open Doors makes athletes more accessible to the people who support them. Visit opendoors.com or follow them on social media at opendoors. Now, back to Sports Business Radio with our guest, Megan Klingenberg. I have one more question for you. I know we only have time for one more question, but I really wanted to get this one in. Uh, my daughter plays high school soccer. She suffered her first concussion on Friday. She's in the concussion protocol. I have talked on this show. Most people don't realize this. There's more concussions in women's soccer than there are in the NFL. This is a big problem. From where you sit, because you're someone who's looking for solutions and you're smart and you're, you know, involved with the, the latest topics and trends. What can be done to keep soccer players safer from concussions, or can anything be done? 
we have a lot of ways to go in regards to research and studies and progress to combat concussions. Basically, any product on the market will say, this is something that reduce, reduces impact um, on your head. And so the force of the Gs that you get hit with, right, that reduces these, the, these um, I guess, products reduce the Gs from that hit. But they never say that it reduces concussions or protects against concussions. And I totally understand that because they don't want to be, you know, sued. And they're just trying to do their best to figure out a good way to combat this epidemic because it is an epidemic. Uh, I mean, I, if I want to have this company when I'm done playing, then I need to be able to use my brain. Right. So it's really important to me to be able to protect my head. Um. In full disclosure, I work with a company called Second Skull, and I think that they make a pretty wonderful product in regards to, you know, headwear and and headwear protection. Um, But at the same time, we just have so much further to go. And they know that. They even know that. They're always doing continuous testing, looking for better materials, looking for better ways to do this. So I don't know if that answers your question at all, but all I'm doing is keeping an eye on everything that comes out, seeing what's the best way to protect my head, seeing what's the best like thing to wear to protect me when I'm playing without feeling like, oh, I don't want to wear this because it's throwing off my head or I don't want to wear this because it's throwing off whatever else while I'm playing because you have to feel 100% comfortable when you're playing. And then... Honestly, I just limit my heading as much as I can. I try and limit the amount of small knocks that I take and limit the amount of of headers that I do in practices and just make sure that I'm practicing good technique when I am training. I know that's hard, but there's only so much we can do right now. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you this, and then we'll wrap. But I was at your game this year in Portland when Rose Lavelle got drilled. And oh, man, that was terrible. They let her back out to play. And I was sitting up in, in one of the boxes, and I'm, like, shouting down there, do not let her back in. And I couldn't believe they let her back in the game. And I'm sure she talked her way back onto the pitch. But that was a case where you have to protect the athletes from themselves sometimes because you guys are always going to want to compete. You're always going to want to help your team win. And that was a case where I was like, no, Someone needs to take the keys to the car and and not let her back on the field. So I think that's part of the problem, too, is there needs to be a really good protocol with sometimes the athletes need to be protected from themselves. No, you're absolutely right. I think Rose Lavelle hadn't played a game for, like, a month after that. She actually was diagnosed with a concussion and then didn't. And I think this past weekend was her first weekend back. So there needs to be a lot of talk between scientists, athletic trainers, doctors. Uh, there needs to be more education for players and what they're feeling could be a concussion because, you know, how many times a game do I hit it and I feel a little bit dizzy afterwards or some? I, I know in 20 seconds that I'm going to be fine. I mean, is that a concussion? Is it not a concussion? I don't know. Yeah. And I don't think anyone can tell me. And so I just think there needs to be a lot more dialogue. 
There needs to be a lot more education. There needs to be a lot less heading in practices. And until we find a really good solution, there just needs to be communication about keeping players safe and what are the best ways to do it. And working together to try and optimize players' health because the brain arguably is the most important thing. Absolutely. Megan Klingenberg, you can find her on Instagram and Twitter at Megan Kling. You can find her website at MeganKlingenberg.com. You're doing so many great things on and off the pitch. You're really one of the most diverse athletes that I've spoken with. You're so eloquent. Uh, I can't wait to see what's next for you. And thanks for being a pioneer. And thanks for all the things that you're doing right now to lay the groundwork for women that come after you. Who knows? Maybe even someone like my daughter. So I really do uh, admire what you're doing. No way. Thank you. And I'll come on anytime because this has been uh, like a, a huge ego booster for me. Thank you for saying all the nice things. Uh, it's really, really kind. I appreciate that a bunch. And um, it's always a pleasure chatting you up. And also, don't let my Twitter names fool you. It's Megan with a silent H because my mom decided to trick everybody when I was born with that <laughs> silent H. So I love to give her crap all the time. It's so funny. She's like, I like the way it looks better. I'm like, okay, Ma. Didn't help you with your Twitter handle or Instagram handle, no, she did she didn't. But I love her anyways. Megan, thank you so much for joining us, and we'll catch up with you soon. Thank you. All right. Bye. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. I'll be right back. One word you wouldn't typically associate with a dress shirt is comfort. However, the folks over at Mizzen in Maine are changing this. Their shirts are incredibly comfortable. Mizzen in Maine makes dress shirts for men that fixes everything that's ever been wrong with shirts for so long. Their shirts breathe, stretch, and wick away moisture. It's like athletic wear disguised as a dress shirt, making them great for travel. They've taken the hassle out of looking great through wrinkle resistance and the ability to wash your shirts at home. No more last-minute ironing. No more after-work trips to the dry cleaner. It's a shirt that's worked for thousands of customers, including hundreds of professional athletes like J.J. Watt and Phil Mickelson. Head over to MizzenInMain.com and use promo code SBR to get $10 off your dress shirt. That's MizzenInMain.com, code SBR. I can tell you one thing, I'll be wearing Mizzen in Maine dress shirts at all future sports business radio road shows and sports PR summit events. I can't wait. This year marks the 100th anniversary of one of the most infamous events in American sports history, the Black Sox scandal. If you like the book or the movie Eight Men Out, hear the full story of the eight Chicago White Sox players who were banned from baseball for conspiring with gamblers to lose the 1919 World Series. New details have been uncovered that provide fresh insight into the scandal. So subscribe to the Infamous America podcast from Black Barrel Media on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any player of your choice. The series is available right now. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. Thanks to our friends at Boingo Wireless for powering our Sports Business Radio Roadshow. Follow them online at boingo.com or on Twitter at Boingo. And we want to remind you all the great places you can get the Sports Business Radio podcast. We're on iTunes. We're on Spotify, Stitcher, Tune in wherever you get your podcast. You can find Sports Business Radio. So download us for on-demand listening. Subscribe, rate, and review us as well. We always appreciate the reviews. Follow me on Twitter in between shows at SB Radio. 
Follow us on Instagram at Sports Business Radio. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. 